Um, Today's scripture passage comes from Exodus chapter 18, verses 8 to 12. Um, In your pew Bible, it's page 69. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God and Aaron and came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Now we're going to go to verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select a But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trusting men who hate, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Have them serve as judges for the people all at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this and God command, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. This is the word of God. Good morning. As we come together today, uh, today I'd like for us to first start with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the music that has been sung. We thank you for the, the lyrics that present a message to our hearts. We thank you for the challenge that you've already provided in our worship service today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is in our midst and challenges us and gives us a sense of purpose and excitement. We thank you for the testimony that we have heard of how you have worked in the life of one of our brothers here. Father, indeed, as we gather together to worship further as we look at your Scripture, we ask that it be teaching from you and not teaching from man. Father, we would ask that we would learn as we look at the testimony and the witness of Jethro and Moses and others and allow their their experiences 
to challenge us and test us and move us forward in our service to you. In Jesus' name. Jethro was a Midianite priest, was the father-in-law of Moses. The Midianites were idol worshipers. Some say that they probably also worshipped Jehovah, but um, there is no real clear proof of their theological stance on their relationship with God. We can see the Scripture and we can see the the message of what... uh, we read here because the Midianites were originally tied to Abraham. And so it's a very interesting picture that we have here as, as the Scripture shows that uh, Moses spent about 40 years of his life dealing with developmental things in who he was and his values and his morals and his understanding of life when he was with the Egyptians. And then having had the uh, rather unfortunate experience of watching uh, uh, an Israelite being beaten by an Egyptian, we know what happened in that particular case was that Moses responded and went after that Egyptian. And the result was that he had to flee the country. And he went to Midian, this place that uh, was not known as a follower of Yahweh. Uh, and, and went to a place that, that was focused on um, polytheistic thinking. And while he was there, he came across uh, the experience where ultimately, within that Midianite community, he met Jethro and uh, his daughter. And we know in the Scripture it says that he met Zipporah uh, and married her, and he remained in Midian for about 40 years. And so he's already had quite a life as he had Egypt time and he's already gone to a foreign country and where he had a wife and two children that he named basically with names that said that God should be present in their life, but that they were sojourners. They were not really locals. And that was the meaning behind uh, the name of his number one son. And so as we look at... uh, Moses and his life, his, his life is very, very much married into the experience of being in Midian. And um, the scripture says that uh, he um, uh, was married to a, a wife who had these two children whose father's name was Jethro. And Jethro was a priest of the Midianites. And the problem with that, of course, we must have to recognize, there, while they, we don't find solid description giving us full understanding of all that meant, it certainly showed that uh, Jethro was uh, at least forgiving of or accepting of the fact that the Midianites were polytheistic, that they worshipped and they praised different gods. Now, whether or not they, that included Jehovah, Yahweh, or not, no one is sure. But for sure, we are aware that that it was Jethro's responsibility to lead people in that country in some type of worship. Today, I would like for us to take a look at who Jethro was and is in our lives as we see his testimony. 
I would like for us to look at it from the perspective of what Moses was going through as he came in contact again with his father-in-law. As we say, 40 years, Moses was in Egypt. 40 years, he was around the Midianites. And then he went back to Egypt out of a responsibility toward the people of Israel. But when he did so, he left his wife and children in Midian, thinking he could probably accomplish more. It's what many people have uh, evaluated this to mean. But there was a division in the Scripture. And we, as we look in chapter 18, we see that the Scripture points that at this point in time, Jethro, the father-in-law, said, Enough is enough. It's time now for me to bring my daughter and her children back to Moses. So he took the time and put in the effort to take an arbitrary trip, in a sense, to make that proactive action of trying to pull the family back together. So Jethro traveled and went to Moses. Today we're going to be looking at spiritual burnout. Moses was one that was dealing with some of these struggles. We've heard Brian's testimony this morning in reference to his even feeling at times in his life that he's hit times of uh, challenge with burnout and questioning whether or not he could continue on and having to evaluate his motivation for why he served the Lord. As we look at Scripture, I think we have to challenge ourselves to realize that spiritual burnout can kill a church can kill you, can kill us in our walk. I know my first experience, I I wouldn't even have been able to give a definition of it. But I had a friend of mine uh, when I was in college, his first year in school, he hit burnout. And it was because he had been so busy throughout high school. He had been involved in everything, and I had been with him. I'd been busy as well. But apparently it, didn't, it strikes people differently with different experiences. And he was constantly pushing. And he hit a point where he just simply said, God, enough is enough. I have nothing left. And he was involved in leading this group and leading that group. And, and, and everybody went to him for all kinds of problems. And suddenly he just started telling everyone, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Then gradually, he quit saying, I don't know, I don't have an answer. And he started running with a complete different crowd of people. Because he was so disappointed with himself, so disappointed that he was so tired and exhausted, he was seeking answers elsewhere. In 2014, two years ago, two years and two months ago, I came to this church. Uh, when I came, I jumped into a kind of a beehive of uh, hurting and, and tired people. People who had been through some difficult years. Some who had already flown a white flag and surrendered and had gone. There are names that I continue to come in contact with here in various meetings. I know the name and know it well, but would not recognize the person in any way, shape, or form because the person has never been here. Many battles of significance had been fought over those few years. 
some struggles here. Our congregation, the English congregation, we have different ones of you who are involved at different levels. Some of you, that was a a far-off idea that was being dealt with in the Cantonese congregation. For some of you, it was a daily grind. The reason I dare to mention the daily grind is because it has to do with burnout. Daily grinding on our lives, things began to get heavier and heavier and more and more difficult. Everybody wants to find a way to relax. Everyone wants to pull back and say, I need a breath of fresh air. Enough is enough. In the case of ECBC, many people were wanting to find a place where serenity and safety could be found. Struggling in defending one's own views toward everything made for a rather conflicted people in our church. The result of such mixed feelings and emotions continues to impact us to this day. Maybe some of us need to rest while others of us need to step forward. See, part of the problem is that it's not just a one-sided event. If everybody says, okay, starting today, I'm kicking back, I'm giving up my responsibilities. We're in great trouble. But the problem is, for many people, they've never picked up the responsibility in the first place. Some of you have got so many skills. We need you to step forward so that it will allow others to be able to find a little bit of relaxation. A number of years ago, and I recognize that your understanding and experience with foreign missions is quite different from mine. But a number of years ago, I uh, began work overseas. And so I've never claimed to be the greatest uh, uh, or wisest individual when it comes to understanding North American thinking. Uh, I moved to Hong Kong in 1975, and I've kind of developed a strange worldview ever since. But I've had a wonderful experience, and God led it, and I give praise to Him for that experience. But in that 35 years of time mainly dealing in East Asia before I moved to a few other things. I had 12 years functioning what was called a regional strategy associate. My responsibility as a regional strategy associate included numerous things. One of my jobs was to do supervision of teams. We had small teams where we had a team leader. that The team would have as many as 10 people, 12 people. And I would work with those team leaders to try to gain a strategy and a focus to reach their people group with the gospel of Christ. That doesn't mean that everybody in their area is going to become a Christian, but they're all going to have a responsible opportunity to know who Jesus is. To where they can at least consider Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of their own lives. And so we worked with doctors, we worked with nurses, we worked with uh, people from all kinds of backgrounds. We worked with a lot of people from different uh, parachurch organizations and many of the churches that could be found in East Asia. And we would coordinate our efforts. Another part of my job was to do training of house church groups. So I traveled all over China doing training and I had a house church training team. And our team was made up only of Chinese because indeed they were the only ones that could go into so many of those areas. And also it was, they had the world's best camouflage, yellow skin, black hair. I was the one that had the challenge each time because mine was a little more troublesome. 
But working with those guys, I got to see men and women, by the way, see some wonderful people who poured out their hearts as they worked with the, the local people to develop healthier churches and to do outreach. Again, one of the responsibilities of supervision, though, was working with teams. And one of the teams that I worked with, I, I want to share the testimony of the team leader. The team leader had about 15 years of ministry experience. And as you're well aware, learning Chinese doesn't always come that easy for everybody. In fact, for most of us, it doesn't ever come at all. But we won't go there. But the, the point is, this man had 15 years experience. He and his wife had wonderful Chinese skills. They could go into a group of Chinese and they could speak very, very clearly and communicate what the needs were. And they would work with those particular groups in developing a strategy that would include uh, different methods for getting the gospel to the community. If they had a small, uh, uh, a particular people group that they were working with of 200,000 or 400,000 people, or they would be working and trying to work with other churches as, as partners in developing a strategy that would get people going to, up into the mountains or wherever it might be to get the gospel shared. This particular man's example that I'm about to use, though, is one that had 15 years of great experience, knew everybody. He had people coming in from Singapore and Malaysia who would come in and work with their particular team. And they, they had all kinds of marvelous experience over the years. He did training of nationals, um, uh, national co-workers, worked in cooperation with student workers and teachers. Um, but I, he, he was also a very bold guy. In that one day he came to me, each year I had to review their budget plan for the next year. He came in and he said, okay, here's my budget. He gave it to me and I looked at it and I remember shaking my head and looking a second time because it was $1.1 million. And I thought, $1.1 million U.S. dollars, that's your budget, huh? I think it's a little on the heavy side. Well, we had quite a conversation and we, we met with their team and I explained to them that that was a little bit too much. We pulled it back to uh, $10,000. I said I'd give them a one-year one year experience here to see how they did. If during that one year it was determined we needed to look at that larger number because of the success rate of all that had happened, then we'll, we'll talk about it. Well, um, at the end of the year, we kind of moved on to the next point. And I was glad that we had managed to save a few dollars there. This guy, though, was he was bold. No one could say he was not afraid to ask. No one could say that he was afraid to put out his time and his money and his effort. He was giving all he could, nighttime, daytime, any time he could, he would be out witnessing with people and training locals. He was a great inspiration. But he had one problem that was going on in his life. Burnout was growing Every day, it was growing as an illness in his life. I went to his home one day, and in his living room, he had uh, books piled. They were about seven foot high, but it wasn't just one pile of books. He had pile after pile after pile. His living room had turned into a factory, and he basically had, had it was a storage unit. 
And I was amazed that his wife would even put up with it, except for the fact that she had the same burden he did. And I, I walked through and we, we began to talk about whether that was really a wise thing or not to go quite that far. Isn't there some place that they could store those books? He had a hunger to achieve all that he needed to achieve because he had written a master plan that had said he would do certain things that would accomplish or bring certain results. Burnout occurs when in sheer exhaustion and frustration one loses all hope of meeting the standard which has been placed upon him or her whether it's placed on it by themselves or placed from an outside source. In a sense, I felt guilty because I wondered whether or not some of his pressure was pressure that he was receiving from me. Certainly, we had expectations, but I don't think our goal was to have that heavy of an expectation. The person simply has to give up with a sense of a lost cause. That was Robert's problem. He finally had to surrender. He saw that his expectations were too high and he was never going to reach it. In his case, he and his wife eventually saw the efforts weren't bringing the results that he expected or should be coming. In his mind, his master plan was what, what, what should be happening. He did this much work, this much should be happening. This many people should be coming to know Christ. This many new churches should be started. This many new leaders should be picking up the responsibility. They should be then stretching it out to the rest of their people group. And it wasn't all happening. Some things were happening. But it wasn't fast enough and it wasn't at the scale that he had prepared. Burnout is a phenomenon found in Christians and non-Christian circles. It is not something strictly for Christians. Sometimes it's called a midlife crisis. Sometimes it's called other things. But it's basically pushing beyond our ability. It's pushing us beyond what we possibly can accomplish. In his case, he worked for a good 20-year total in his ministry. Gave everything he could give, and then he returned to the United States. We had a man who had the language. We had a man who had the skills. We had a man and a woman who had burden in every way who had to pack up and return to the United States with those skills. He found a job working as a financial planner. Oh, he did his financial planning and he did all right financially. Uh, he was able to do that kind of work because he had had that kind of study prior to ever going overseas. But in his heart, he carried a sense of failure, disappointment, in question toward God. When we look at Moses today, he was, a, I guess you would call an almost at burnout individual. Moses was apparently on the edge of burnout when Jethro, his father-in-law, from another religious background, showed up for a visit. Jethro was living in a polytheistic environment, and yet he could grasp the love toward God that was found in Moses. Jethro was welcomed by Moses with great emotion because Moses uh, threw his arms around Jethro and welcomed him in every way. And it's very interesting in the Scripture because it shows us that 
instead of running up and say, finally, my wife made it here, he runs over and he says, finally, my father-in-law is here. No, I'm sorry, that doesn't quite click with me. But culturally, there was a responsibility there. And he ran to his, to his father-in-law and he welcomed him. Moses, uh, Jethro's heart of care for his son, Moses, learned about the value of delegation through what the, the ministry that we're going to be looking at in just a moment. Jethro came into the environment basically trying to show love for a son, a son-in-law, and at the same time not knowing exactly how God was going to lead him each and every day. So he came in and the relationship was rebuilt and Moses was excited to see the father-in-law. And one of the things that's very exciting is as he arrived in verse chapter 18, verses 1 to 7, he, he comes and, and he's, um, uh, Jethro has come into the circle and Moses is so excited that he begins to share about what all God has done in his life. This morning we heard a testimony. I think this is something you and I need to understand. Why we incorporate within our worship service sharing of testimony. The sharing of the testimony is our sharing of life. That's what happened in this case. In this case in the Scripture. He stepped in and, and Moses said, let me tell you what's been going on. God has been doing some great things. He didn't say, hey, give me a little time. I'm going to go talk to my wife for a while. He was so focused. Moses got right after it. And he said, I, I think you need to understand what God is doing. And, it, and as we look through the Scripture, Jethro, you know, in, in chapter, eight, uh, verses, <clears throat> chapter 18, verses 8 to 12, we can see more of, of what's going on because we realize that, that Jethro was not coming with only one God in his heart. Jethro was coming, with, coming from a, a society of multiple gods, and yet he's listening to this son-in-law give testimony only to Yahweh and giving praise to how Yahweh has worked in his life in taking care of their people. And Jethro says, I can't believe how excited I am. I'm so thrilled to hear that God cares about you so much. This God truly is the only true God. This is the God with a capital G instead of the small g. He's not just one of the gods. This surely is the true God. And he immediately gathers together. They have a banquet together and they have a time of worship. They come forth and they say, Father, I understand. You are the one who has protected. You are the one that's got... Maybe this is why we were sent here for this purpose. So everything looks like it's moving fine until we get to chapter 18, verses 13 to 24. And we see the advice that comes from Jethro. With a nation of nearly two million people that were gathered there, one can imagine that the line was long for his aid. And each and every day, Moses would get out sit down in front of his group of people, and they would come to him for advice. And he would say, well, this is probably what you need to do. This is probably what you need to do. This would be the thing that would help you. Spend all day long. And the Scripture says the people who were queued up were exhausted. They were tired. They'd been waiting to finally get to the man with all the answers. He was exhausted. And Jethro watched. Jethro was absolutely shocked by what he was watching. 
And he said, you know, this doesn't work. So he contacts Moses and says, you're going to burn out. You're going to be too tired. This approach has got a hole in it. So I'd like for us to quickly think through some of the holes. Moses did not know how to say no. Or let me find somebody else to help you. Moses' problem was he tried to be the superman for all. Delegating responsibility and the ability to make decisions, couldn't do it. Had to go through him. So sometimes yes, uh, or only yes, can be a danger in the sense of saying, I'm always available for you. Sometimes we need to realize there are different people that can help us to answer different problems. Another thing that, that went on in this particular situation, Moses worked from dawn to dusk, worked all day long. He had little time to actually spend with the people. You know, we can say, if we want to, that he was giving uh, uh, all that he could to the people, and his intent was to give all he could. But the problem was, truly, he did not have time to give to them because all he had was, he, he was so exhausted. Another thing, he was training no one to take up the responsibility. He was the only answer. Everything had to come through him. He was the magic man for all. Another thing we have to recognize that this centralized decision approach can become a funnel. And that funnel is one that if it doesn't go through him, People don't get their answer, so they wait and they wait day after day just trying to get to someone, and yet there very well could have been others who could have helped with the answers. My friend that I mentioned earlier, the, the strategy coordinator, the team leader overseas, that was his problem. His burnout came because he poured everything on his own shoulders. At the same time, let us look at Jethro. Jethro has come and Jethro has spoken truth. It wasn't comfortable truth. It didn't make people, uh, didn't make Moses extremely uh, comfortable because it meant suddenly he's going to have to admit that all that he's been doing, all the good that he intended, still had a hole in it. It still wasn't a perfect answer. The very idea that God used a Midianite priest to guide Moses to become more effective is amazing. But that's what happened. And so the thing I think I'd want to say to us is we've got to learn to be sensitive and try to learn from whomever we may. This was the problem for him, was that, that Moses had become self, uh, self-directed and he needed what, what uh, Jethro... He would have probably never contacted Jethro and asked him to come and be his teacher, but that is what happened. Jethro warned about not doing everything alone, but he also didn't call for everybody to vote. Jethro said, you're still the leader, but you need to lead. You need to divide these people and delegate responsibility, delegate authority. Delegating responsibility without delegating authority is an absolute waste of time. You have to delegate the responsibility to make the decisions and then trust that God will help. Now, they're not going to always make decisions exactly like you want them. And I'm sure that that was one of the things that would have made Moses uncomfortable. But his responsibility from, that came down from, from Jethro was to train and to select. Train up people who can make decisions. Smaller groups 
Give them the authority. Train them and let them do their job. Verses 25 to 27 tell us, Moses chose able men to try to help promote to the, the burnout issue. Verse 26, he selected leaders. In verse 27, Jethro went home. He had done his job. Once his job was completed, Moses had learned what he needed to learn and his task had come before him. Now, the question for us today, our last comment. Let us pray and let us make decisions to evaluate ourselves. Let us look at what Jethro, Jethro brought to Moses and ask ourselves, is there anything we need to learn in this approach in the Scripture? It's better for us not to like the model of Jethro and consider what we can learn than it is to like the teaching of Jethro and do nothing. On Sundays when any preacher preaches and he leaves the congregation and someone says, thank you, that was a good, good sermon, that I needed that. There's always the question in the pastor's heart, because you're thanking me, does that mean you weren't challenged? You know, sometimes maybe the best thing would be that people wouldn't say anything because they're actually struggling with what the Scripture has said to us. Today, my prayer for us is we'll allow the message of Jethro coming to Moses and boldly saying, your methods have got some problems. You're going to have to learn to trust people again. You're going to have to trust that they can make good decisions. And they may not be your decisions perfectly, but you're going to have to delegate. Anytime you study anything dealing with leadership or management, one of the things they're going to talk about is your management style, your leadership style. When you go and look for a job, they're going to want to know how you feel about leadership and management. Delegation is one of the higher levels. Because it means you're daring to be a risk taker. It may mean you have to clean up some things. But as opposed to you doing all of the decision making yourself, it's one of our goals. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the testimony of Jethro and Moses. Father God, we give praise that this man that sought after you in every way, Moses, was teachable. Father, we would pray that whatever message you have for us, whatever teaching from this Scripture you have for us, we would be teachable. We want our church to be strong, but not because we are strong, but because you are strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.